The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the critically acclaimed network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic. Mm-hmm. People just call me Whitney Seibold, and I'm okay with that. Yes, but oh. when, when you write in, however, mm-hmm. you may call him Rockmeister McCool. <laughs> and there is no wrong spelling of Rockmeister no, McCool. No, every single spelling of Rockmeister McCool is, is correct, even if it's just a string of 13 M's. Yeah, you can use wingdings. <laughs> we'll know what you mean. Do people even know what wingdings are anymore? Wingdings is a font that's just a bunch of like weird images, and theoretically they're there in case you needed to incorporate like a, like a little dumb piece of art into a line of text, but no it was, one ever it, uses it. Yeah, it was, it was little little bits of clip art that uh, were embedded in a, a font file in most typing programs. We should probably explain what clip art is. Uh, initially, <laughs> when people had word programs in their early computers, incorporating art was seen as kind of a luxury, and it was called clip art because you clipped it out like with scissors, and you put it onto a page, well, it, it and you called, got to format it in squares. And it, it, and it was called clip art because a lot of these pieces of art were... Uh, Sold in packages to the computer companies. Yeah, you could buy a whole disc of clip art for it. Yeah, and you can buy all this clip art, and it was just pre-existing art that you could use. Uh, I guess I assume publicly, or you yeah. would buy the package, and that would be enough, and you could use it however you wanted in documents. Yeah, uh, but that became a little too extravagant and too complicated, and yeah. so they started incorporating that in your into your keyboard. Yeah, and you could type out symbols. And now we can just put anything we want in a Word document, and also we have Google Images. Well, now, now we just fine. have now we just have emoji. You yeah. know, you type that well, yeah, but into it was, your typing field. We might also just need an image or something. In mm. which case, you know, Bing that. Mm. I know, know. I know you Bing can. It up. I know you can send like little little gifs or gifs sure. or little like GIFs. animated images. Gifs. How, don't don't, how long, don't let uh, that be a thing. Gifs. The the creator says it's gifs. The but, creator uh, the creators. A lot of people who create things are wrong about their things. <laughs> it's graphics exchange. It's graphics interchange format. Graphics yeah. is a hard G. Gif. Uh, I'm wondering how long though before uh, the emoji movie will prove to be correct. Oh, never! And, and how shut and your how mouth. Emo- like just emojis, the simple little uh, pic- pictographs that you're supposed to put into your text messages will <sighs> also be animated. Like, will they move a little bit? I think they actually do have that. I do they? they I, like, I don't like, think that's the weird thing. Because there's a, a definite line between sending a GIF or uh-huh. like a sticker. And sending just an emoji. An emoji is it's has just always size. been static. It's just size. Right. It's just the size. That's the only thing that matters. If you remember the movie, the emoji movie, I hope you don't. That movie is terrible. 
but it's really one of the worst. The whole it is so bad. The whole plot of the emoji movie is this kid doesn't know how to talk to somebody. He's like, it's this cute girl at school, and I don't know what emoji to send her. And he picks an emoji, but the way emojis work on your phone is all of the emojis are running around, and if someone picks your emoji, you have to like take a selfie right then and there. And if you're not making the right emoji, they'll think that their phone is broken, and they'll get a new phone, and all of your emojis will die. Mm. This is the premise they went with. The movie ends with basically the argument that language and the representation of thought is pointless because sometimes kids are inarticulate. So the whole thing is he's all emojis at once. <laughs> and so well, the kid doesn't complicated person. And then the, and the girl's just like, yeah, it's like sometimes you don't know what to say. And the only way to say that is with an emoji. Write that shit down. <laughs> say it to her, for God's sakes. Talk, talk, will you? Talk. It's like the, the beginning of Maniac McGee. Talk. Words not in brain. Words yeah. fail. The whole point of emoji, a movie based on the idea of conveying thoughts and ideas with imagery, is that conveying thoughts and ideas with imagery is too hard. <laughs> That's a terrible fucking movie. Also, it's not funny. Like the only yeah, thing funny uh, is that Patrick Stewart play, plays poop. <laughs> the poop emoji is voiced by Patrick Stewart. That's the only. That's not even a joke. That's just casting. That's the only thing about it. We got to move on to our letters. Anyway, again, we. If you want to ask us anything, anything yeah. at all, uh, topics about movies or TV, something yeah. we've said in a previous episode that you want to uh, comment on or take us to task for, mm-hmm. have this us all is, the time. This is all your chance to lead the conversation. Yeah. You can email us. Normally we get to it faster than this. Sorry. Uh, we can email us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. That is the email. Uh, we will happily read any and all uh, letters that we get. We don't have time for all of them, so we'd like to give you as much time as possible. Whitney, let's just get started. Here's a letter from Pulp Serial. Uh, I'm going to read these letters, by the way, uh, however you sign them off. If you yeah. don't leave a name, I'm not going to read a name out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, just that, if you, however you want me to address however it. However you sign that's off, you that's sign how off. you will be, regardless uh, of what's in your, like, your subject line. Or whatever. This says, Dear Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool, uh, in one of the previous letters episodes, the two of you talked about a subgenre of film called vansploitation. Yeah. You were both very excited because you said you rarely get to talk about a niche subgenre like that. I'm writing to give you two the opportunity opportunity to talk about another one hmm. i would like to talk about bruce exploitation uh, oh yeah for those of you who don't know that uh, after bruce lee died in 1973 there were a number of impersonators that started martial arts films that had bruce lee's name in the title but otherwise would have nothing to do with the legend these films varied in quality and would star a bruce lee lookalike that would have an alternate spelling of their name bruce lee li i think it's actually pronounced bruce lie but bruce yeah Lai. yeah um, yeah Bruce Leia, L-E-A, are just two examples. These films were also known for not being in good taste. They obviously capitalized on the image and the name of a dead man, but there were times when they took it even further. One of the films was called Bruce Lee Fights Back from the Grave. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I haven't seen it, but I know about this movie. The opening sequence of the film had a lightning bolt striking Bruce Lee's grave and have him leaping out of the grave, coming back to life. Wow, that I didn't know. That's nuts. Yeah. That is an incredibly poor taste. Mm. Wow. Can you imagine if they did? Well, I'd say if they did that with someone like Christopher Lee, I'm sure Christopher Lee would be flattered by something like that. But it's like, <laughs> Christopher Lee is back, and well, I mean, but like, he's he's a horror filmmaker. Bruce Lee was very much about dignity. Like yeah, Bruce, Christopher Lee would be in anything for yeah. God's sake. He'd be fine with have it. Have either of you seen any films from this subgenre? What do you think of it? Thanks for reading my letter. Love Pulp Serial. I actually haven't seen a lot of the uh, Bruce exploitation genre. Yeah, what? happened in the wake of the very tragic and extremely untimely passing of Bruce Lee mm. is 
pretty damn shameful. Bruce Lee, we, we recently covered uh, his classic movie, uh, Fist of Fury, mm. on Critically Acclaimed. Uh, Bruce Lee didn't get to make a lot of movies, but the movies that he made and the TV shows that he was on, he was on Green Hornet, mm. uh, were incredibly important for a variety of reasons. One, uh, he was a Chinese action hero who had broke out into the American mainstream, which was not really a thing yet. And he raised a lot of awareness of what was going on in Hong Kong cinema at the time, uh, which is the 70s was a glorious explosion of gorgeous motion pictures, narrative innovation, absolutely raising the bar of what uh, martial arts choreography could be to the point that most you know Western movies still can't compete with what they were doing in the 70s. Mm. Um he was handsome, he was charismatic, he was romantic, he was badass, he was funny. Bruce Lee, I would argue, is, although his career was way too short, one of the great movie stars. And when he died, after only making a handful of movies, it was The Big Boss, Fists of Fury, Enter the Dragon, and he was... Oh, and, uh, um... Ah, uh, what's the other dragon movie he did? Yeah. Return of the Dragon. Oh. Uh... It's, it has a couple of different names. I first saw it in Return and, of the Dragon. And he, and he was making a film called Game of Death. When, when and he was, yeah, yeah, and he was halfway through like making, and not even halfway, he was partially through making a film called Game of Death when he died. He left a void, and rather than just sort of try to find other stars like him, uh, and just sort of let that sort of be like, a, you know, a turning point mm. in, in cinema... Uh, a lot of people just tried to exploit the hell out of his image, out of his celebrity, out of his untimely passing. Even Game of Death is ultimately, with the finished version of it, in insanely poor taste. There, there, like, a, there's like a plot point in that movie where Bruce Lee fakes his death, and they use footage of Bruce Lee's actual funeral and his dead body in the movie as a plot point in an effort to sort of make the movie work in post, not entirely unlike what they had to do with Furious 7 after Paul Walker died. Uh, it's shameless and ugly. Mm. And it really sullies the incredible parts of that movie. Like, every time Bruce Lee is actually on screen in Game of Death, Game of Death is amazing. Most of the time he's not, and it's repulsive. So I've actually not seeked out a lot of Bruce exploitation. There's actually a movie I forgot it was out there, and I'd always meant to see it, and I'm going to put it on my to-do list this year. There's a movie I really wanted to see. It came out in 2007, directed mm. by Justin Lin, mm. uh, who of course worked on the Fast and Furious franchise. That's a coincidence. Uh, is uh, he did a film called Finishing the Game, which yes. is all about trying to find a way to finish Game of Death. It's it's actually uh, I've I've seen Finishing the Game, and uh, it's it's a mockumentary. It's yeah. sort of like a, a comedy film, and. Uh, kind of making fun of the how desperate they were to finish this film because Bruce Lee had died and how desperate all the actors who were going to be replacing Bruce Lee mm -hmm. were. You feel, it was like a chorus line. Like, I really hope I get it. And there's so, uh, But it gets, like, really kind of crass and dumb. Like, I just need to mention that Ron Jeremy is in the film to let you know kind of where we're coming from with yeah. finishing the game. Uh, MC Hammer has a role in it. Uh, it it's really... It's jokey, apparently. It's, it's jokey and broad okay. and kind of slash. Is it funny? Me. I mean, is it because it, you know, no, it's not really. Doesn't I, really work. I, I wouldn't say so. I mean, it's fun, oh. fun to watch for some of the cameos, but yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's just sort of a dumb flick. Uh, the the uh, Bruce Lee movie I was thinking of was originally released in America under Return of the Dragon, but now the official uh, uh, title is Way of the Dragon. Uh, 
Okay. Uh, both of them are equally fine. Uh, but in any case, if you're looking for that film, that's that's what that is. That's the one where he fights Chuck Norris in the Coliseum. It's awesome. And I know there is a film where Bruce Lai fights Chick Norris, which uh, is, oh. is taking the whole Bruce Ploitation angle to a whole new level because Chuck Norris is still alive. Yeah, you could get Chuck Norris. He wasn't a big star then, probably. You didn't get him a big star until like the mid eighties. Well, you, you could probably couldn't get him if you're you know if, if you're making a Bruce Lai Chick Norris movie. You can't right, you actually. can't afford Chuck Norris. Also, Chuck Norris knew Bruce Lee. He might find it in poor taste, or yeah. at least I would hope he would. But I I can't think of any other instances mm. other than Tom Holland, where who is clearly trying to pass himself off as a horror director. Uh, <laughs> where where that's a uh, that's a terrible joke. A there are producer, two Tom Hollands in the industry. Yeah. Where a, a producer like was deliberate like changed the name of one of their actors to sound a lot like the name of another actor. Specifically to hoodwink audiences. I think that actually happened a bit in. Um, oh, what's the? Um, hold on, hold on. There's a, there's a movie. I think that happened a bit more in like the 40s and 50s, where there would be like famous comedy duos, and oh, then there yeah. would be people who like ripped them off incredibly. Like um, like Martin Lewis had a couple knockoffs. Yeah, uh, exactly. A lot of people accused the Ritz brothers of of knocking off the Marx brothers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they were just another brothers act. They didn't really rip off the Marx brothers. Right, there's, um, what's the, hold on, um, the movie I'm thinking of. Are you thinking is... of Belly Lugosi meets a Brooklyn Gorilla? I am thinking okay. of Belly Lugosi meets a Brooklyn Gorilla, <laughs> because that's actually, like, they're just shamelessly ripping off. Yeah, I, I don't remember the name of the duo, but yeah, they're, they're like a Martin and Lewis, yeah. com- complete and utter ripoff. Like, they actually yeah. act and sound and have the exact same, like, cadence and jokes as yeah. Martin and Lewis. And so that's not quite the same thing, but it's not entirely mm. dissimilar. Mm. It is... Once again, someone did something great, and we're just trying to exploit that and make you trick you into thinking it's it. It's the Asylum Films mock mockbuster yeah. thing, basically, where it's like, hey, here's a Bruce Lee movie you didn't see. You don't know how to spell Lee, right? Good. Here's a Bruce Lee movie you didn't know existed. I, you can watch it, this. It still happens where like some ideas or material are lifted from something that's like less popular. I know The Lion King got into a lot of hot water because it's really similar to an anime called Kimba the White Lion. Yep. Uh, they took a lot of iconography. They took a and lot. Story, you know, uh, they took a lot, and, and gave no credit to the anime. None so, whatsoever. That's just so flat out. Films are still ripped off all the time. Oh, sure. But the idea of but the idea is that Bruce Lee was the more famous version. Right, That's the difference. Right. Kimba was obscure in America, mm. and and I'm I'm sure that and that happens around the world as well. Oh, yeah. uh, there was a whole wave of Turkish ripoff films that we've talked about before. Well, you look at uh, uh, there's one of the more famous zombie movies is Zombie Two. Mm. There is no Zombie One. It was a sequel to the Italian release of Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> so there's a sequel to Dawn of the Dead called Zombie, zombie two, two, which was released in America as Zombie. Yeah. Which is confusing. Zombie 2 is fun, actually. Mm. It's, it's the one with the zombie fight where a zombie fights a shark underwater. Mm. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, that kind of shit happened all the time. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm trying to think of... I think American audiences, or just worldwide audiences now, are a little too media savvy to let that slide anymore. Where we're, we're not gonna ch- we're not gonna change the name of an actor to bank on the popularity of another actor. No, I don't think uh, you'd get away with it now. I think yeah, people would um, raise too much of a stink. And I think even if an actor were to maybe steal the shtick or the affect or maybe like the jokey style of another actor mm-hmm. we zero in on that i think a little bit more they would have now to, they would have to, we would have in previous generations they would have to be openly calling it out in order to get away with that like no i'm doing like a saturday night live like parody you couldn't just 
act like that guy. Yeah, like, you can't really do that. Like do do yeah. Tom Cruise's shtick. No, nah, you can't. Uh, just, we, we, what are you gonna do? Uh, Run. Audiences would say you're just doing a Tom Cruise. Yeah, exactly. Uh, even if that was like, that actor's I mean, style. It, imagine, imagine you're actually like at a movie theater and you see that a Bruce Lee film is about to play, and mm. you're just sort of like, "Oh man, I can't believe you're doing that. That is in such poor taste." I wish I could tweet about it, but I can't. <laughs> like, there's really not much you can do. You're just yeah. sitting there. What are you going to do? Who are you going to complain to? You're just going to write a stern letter? And, like, And then Bruce Lai is standing right there saying, look, look, I've been working on this longer than Bruce Lee ever was. <laughs> he ripped me off. <laughs> it's probably not true. What if, uh, what if Soundgarden came first and Pearl Jam ripped them off? <laughs> <laughs> There's one for the '90s kids. Yeah, everyone's just stealing shit from Temple of the Dog, um, which is the Soundgarden Pearl Jam crossover album. It's really good, actually. Um, anyway, let's let's move on. That was a good that was a good question. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, here comes a letter from Name Redacted. Uh, okay. It says, "Dear Rockmeister Mick Cruella and Bibbs." Okay, I'll be Mick Cruella. Fine, I don't mind. Uh, I recently saw one of my favorite films of all time. That has to be one of my favorite scores of all time. Shrek Two. <laughs> okay. At a local drive-in run by an independent pizza place two nights in a row because it's just that good. I love that there's a local drive-in run by an independent pizza place. That gives me hope right there. That's <laughs> my, great. My question for you is this. What are some movies that you think would play better in a drive-in than mm. in an indoor theater? Says Name Redacted. That's a good question. Mm. Movies that play better in a drive So I actually went to a drive-in on 4th of July weekend. Mm. Uh, we saw a double feature of Jaws and Tremors that was hosted by the American Cinematheque. And that was great. Yeah. Those movies play great. If you've never been to a drive-in and you have the opportunity, go. There's so much fun. You get to sit in your air-conditioned car. The the soundtrack usually plays like over the radio. They give you like a station. They, they, they have a, a low watt radio tower at all drive-ins now, and they yeah. just pipe the, the soundtrack into yeah. different radio stations on and, the dial. And uh, and it's really fun. I actually like what was interesting was normally in like a crowd-pleasing movie like Jaws or Tremors, people would sometimes like erupt into smatterings of applause or like, oh hey. Mm-hmm. There's um, um, Robert Shaw. I love that character. And people like applaud, like, "Hey, Robert Shaw's in this scene." At a drive-in, they all honked and yeah, like, yeah, and, yeah. like turned on their high beams, like flipped them on and off real fast. It was really fun. It was like it was like watching a movie yeah. in the Cars universe, <laughs> where the Cars got really excited because Robert Shaw was in it. It was really fun. Yeah, I've I've seen uh, numerous films in in drive-ins. I was sort of going on the regular for a while. It was something. Uh, she, girlfriend at the time now my my wife of a decade uh would take me to drive-ins for my birthday Mm. problem is my birthday is in early august yeah and that's when shit movies come out (laughs) there there aren't a lot of good like uh friends have taken me to movies on my birthday before Uh, you know what they took me to see spawn friend took me to see spawn on my birthday uh another friend of mine took me to see i know who killed me on my birthday okay that movie is underrated (laughs) that movie is underrated it's it's that movie is not the worst. That movie, like, it's underappreciated. Award- Thank uh, you. At least we can agree on that. Yeah. If you like Giallo movies, it, I Know it, Who Killed Me is not as impenetrable as people say it is. It's no, weird it, and inexplicable. It knows that. It's actually a more interesting thriller people give credit for. I think. Yeah, and I think just people weren't really ready to accept that, for, especially from Lindsay Lohan at the time. No, people just were not on that movie's wavelength. No. I, someday, I think that movie will get appreciated by a cult audience, and they'll do some midnight movies, but mm. we're not there yet, unfortunately. We, we actually try. when I was working at the New Art, they tried it as a midnight. I know who killed me. Nobody came. That's a shame. Nobody wanted no, to see it. Not it, yet. Still, it still has a bad reputation. We, maybe, we should do, maybe we should do something on that movie someday mm. and sort of give it an opportunity to... Find an find an audience, but anyways, movies that play better at a drive-in. Hmm. 
there's a first off, this is not a slight to how these movies play in a theater. I want to make that abundantly clear. Uh, any movie about car chases. So you got Road Warrior, you get mm-hmm. Fury Road in a drive-in. It's going to be that much cooler because everyone's going to be like, "Hey, yeah, I'm in a car." Like it's just you're kind of there, man. Yeah. Um, horror movies do not play well at drive-ins. You think so? Uh, no, because uh, drive-in projectors don't uh, run as brightly as other projectors, mm. and when you watch a film that's uh, really dark or has a lot of fast edits doesn't play as well. You need something that's, that's bright and yeah. edited a little bit more slowly, which means you're probably going to have to go with something that's like over 30 years old. That's interesting because like, because I, I was thinking like when you said that, like I saw Jaws and Tremors and they played fine. Those are very bright horror movies. Those they're, they're, are, those are yeah. at the desert and the beach. Those are yeah, bright so horror the, They're brightly lit and they're yeah. also, you know. That's tre- a good point. Yeah. Tre- Tremors is the newer film of that, the yeah. pair and that I, came out in 1990. So Combine the two. You want uh, a bright movie and a car movie? Speed Racer probably plays great at a drive-in. Yeah, that'd probably yeah. be really fine. Um, I'm trying to think what else. What else would so, be cool? Like, so yeah, everyone says, oh, "I'd love to see like something like The Exorcist on a big screen." It's like the, mm. the drive-in's not really the ideal situation. You want the drive-in? You, you want, want something, something a little, a little like, more quiet and intimate for yeah. something like The Exorcist? No, you want something that's like that's bright, that's fun to watch, that's a bit eventful. It doesn't have to be like rapid fire, but mm-hmm. it should be. Yeah, you, you, I I don't know if like. Persona would be the best film to watch at a drive-in. <laughs> I just don't think it's the right environment for yeah. it. Um, what else? What else? Because when you're going to a, a yeah. drive-in, the Blues sort of, Brothers. There you go. The, the Blues, Blues Brothers, Brothers is like right at a drive-in. Ideal drive-in yeah. kind of movie. Got Which, musical numbers, you know, broad comedy, car, gigantic yeah. car chase at the end. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, some animated films, maybe not CG. Um, I, I, lo- I loathe to I recommend saw, I saw, it. But, I saw How to Train Your Dragon two at a drive-in. It looked, it looked good. It's it's fine, but yeah. yeah. Um, you can yeah, do it. Uh, like, well, I was, I was trying to think, like, what's a good sort of old Technicolor kind of action classic? And I'm going straight to Robin Hood. Oh, Robin I th- Hood. I think Robin fun. Hood would be great. I bet. I bet some of the some of the better early Bond films, like oh, like Gold, Goldfinger, like, yeah. like Goldfinger from Russia with Love, mm-hmm. like those the ones, that, or like Spy Who Loved Me, even the ones that play like travel logs mm-hmm. would probably be fun on a drive-in. Yeah, um, um, enough slow, enough slow parts that you can like make out, you know. Yeah, I think there, there's a definite delineation in sort of the way uh, blockbuster language evolved right in the mid '90s. Because mm. if you were to watch something like Jurassic Park back to back with something like Independence Day, which were only mm. three years apart, mind you. Oh yeah, those They're... movies are completely different uh, in terms of their pacing <laughs> and their editing and the clarity. First of all. Spielberg, I would argue, and I don't think many people would fight this, is a better filmmaker than Roland Emmerich. That's fair. Uh, And as such, he has a better sense of character and pacing and craft. But those actually, that's actually not the worst double feature because those are both big budget, then contemporary throwbacks to like sort of genre films of yore where yeah, but, uh, uh, but if War you, of the World slash Irwin Allen and monster movies basically. Yeah, but if, if you look at something like Independence Day, characterization is a lot shallower, yep. uh, pacing is a lot weirder, yep. visuals are a lot, like there was this weird sort of unbinding of special effects with this gigantic push with CGI that happened right around the time of Independence Day. Yeah. Independence Day was one of the movies that kind of pushed that forward. Oh, oh, Jurassic Park came out and everyone's like oh, we should do that, but it took a couple of years for them to make those movies yeah so yeah it, by the time independence day was coming out it was mm. in full swing mm. in fact so didn't independence day come out the same year as uh uh the, the lost world jurassic park uh it was the year before lost world was 97 okay so close so yeah okay. around the same time but yeah. yeah i i feel like 
Jurassic Park would play really well in a drive-in. Yeah. But at some point, editing became too fast. Photography became a lot uh, busier uh, yeah. in terms of our blockbuster filmmaking. So by the time you get to Independence Day, I'm not sure if that would play at a drive-in. I think Independence Day would do okay. It would do I th- well for the nostalgia factor. Yeah, I think but, that's um, a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of a lot of the more broadly entertaining Spielberg, like Raiders of the Lost Ark would play great. Oh, for sure. Any, well, of, well, any of the James, early James Bond movies, any of the original trilogy would play great at a drive-in. Yeah. It'd yeah. be fantastic at a drive-in. Um, yeah, Goonies would probably play great at a drive-in. Like that whole like 80s adventure mm-hmm. era... One of my favorite scenes of like movie going mm. in movies, which is something you actually don't see as often as you might think, because you don't want your characters to go see a movie, and you definitely don't want to sit in the theater with them for too long. Mm. What I'm just going to pay to watch other people watch movies? What am I doing in the theater? One of my favorite bits ever is in the Monster Squad when the kid wants to go to the drive-in to see uh, one of the Groundhog Day sequels, which in that universe, Groundhog Day is a series of slashers like Friday the 13th or Halloween. Oh, I don't. I didn't remember that detail. Oh yeah, he's, I, I forget what's it's like Groundhog Day Seven or something, mm. and uh, he wants to go to the drive-in to watch it, and he his father can't take him because he has to work, uh-huh. and that's one of the reasons why his family is like falling apart, and like there's this really sad subtextual like subplot where his parents are on the verge of divorce the entire time, but we never spend enough time with them to find out exactly what's going on. And um, so the kid actually lives close enough to the drive-in that he can see the screen with binoculars and he's just got a radio and he's just sitting on his roof, like eating chips, watching. And I'm like, that's amazing. I want to live that close to a drive-in. I would kill to live that close to a drive-in. It would be the best. Um, I, will, I love driving so much. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Like, um, I bet like something. I bet anything that is of an era where like going to a drive-in makes sense in the context of the movie mm. would work. Like, I bet Greece for all of its flaws would play really good at a drive-in. Maybe. You know, it's bright, it's energetic. Mm. People could maybe like get out on their hoods of their cars and dance. Mm. You know, I, I bet it would be cool. I think there's also like plenty of broad slapstick comedies that we mm. play as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and you know we're, we're ignoring... although maybe not because when you're when you're in a movie theater and you can hear other people laughing, like it adds to the atmosphere of comedy. Yeah. If you're just in your car, it might not be quite as potent. Well, if, you know, somebody says something funny and you hear a lot of horns honking, that'll be really fun. Maybe. You know, there's there's kind of a raucous atmosphere to a lot of those certain comedies as well. Well, and you got to so, realize that when when we're not in COVID land, and I know some people might actually like not have gone to a drive-in until recently because it wasn't really necessary to go out of your way and it wasn't the only option you wouldn't just sit in your car necessarily and go to the drive-in people would bring like lawn chairs and like just sort of sit outside under the stars and you would Mm. actually be out with other people so that might actually work fine but in any case yeah i would argue that any brightly lit like monster movie would be great any car chase movie would be great uh, some of the more like fast-paced musicals might be really really fun. Um, uh, yeah, I would say that's probably where you're at for uh, yeah. and anything with this nostalgia value because there's nothing quite like watching an old movie in an environment we associate with old movies, even if that movie wasn't necessarily part of that. So like Independence Day, regardless of how it's styled, a lot of us grew up with that movie. Mm. That'd probably be really fun to drive in. Yeah, all right. So, all right. Anyway, uh, fun question though. Thank you. Mm. What's up? Uh, here's a letter from Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi. Uh, gentlemen. Yes. Hello. Uh, most films that are shown on cable are heavily edited due to their content. 
uh, violence, language, sex, etc. Mm. Generally, the scene is not ruined by seeing the penetration of a knife into flesh or an explicit sex act. I feel comedies have most to lose slash gain when making the transition for being edited for TV. Yes. I definitely don't think a comedy has to have profanity to be funny, but a mm. well-timed and performed shit will work every time. Mm-hmm. I saw the movie Half-Baked for the first time on cable. During the munchies scene, Dave Chappelle requests pudding as his snack of choice. A few years later, I saw it again on DVD, and what he actually requests is pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, wow. that's a very different they, they, scene. They soften that one. Um, wow, maybe it's just me, but I thought pudding was a way funnier line. Have you had that? Had this experience? Have you seen a film yeah. on TV and later revisit it? Uh, the, the and revisit later and found that the TV version was better or funnier. Uh, Funyuns okay. Jim. Okay, uh, first off, sorry for that sudden sudden explosion of profanity. Um, not that we're against profanity, but boy, did that seem to come out of nowhere, right? Uh, unless you've seen Huff Baked, I suppose. But um, yeah, okay, so the tradition of cutting fil- uh, films for television, uh, there's a lot of practical considerations that go beyond censorship. A lot of films are cut for time. Mm. Some films are lengthened for time and they find like little clips of scenes or deleted scenes in order to get a short film to a long enough length that it can be shown on primetime television for example so sometimes you'll see a movie on tv that has scenes you've never seen anywhere else um this is true of blazing saddles yeah i yeah blazing saddles they had to cut for content but by the time they had done that it was too short to fit into the time slot Mm -hmm. so they replaced what they cut with some deleted scenes that weren't typically seen and actually some of those things are really funny so although there's one scene which is actually really kind of dumb uh it's where uh mongo has has invaded rockridge and one of the schemes that sheriff bart comes up with <sighs> is you're a tourist why not go diving in a diving suit oh i thought and that was lo- funny and they lower him down a well and he has to like pay to keep air going into his diving suit Look, it, has, sure how, like, it has nothing to do with anything absurd i find that scene I mean, I funny that but the movie it's, is totally absurd anyway yeah. but i think it, it's it was good to save the anachronisms for later on in the Look, movie, right? they, they cut the film they cut it from the film for a good reason mm-hmm. but in a vacuum that scene is pretty funny oh, right. I, it, it's not great i'll grant you but i like that scene um so that's that's one thing but you're right sometimes they would show a movie on tv that had profanity in it and they would need to decide what to do about that. And what, in my experience, what happened was there was like this shift. Initially, they would beep it out. Mm. And it would be jarring, but at the very least, they weren't pretending. Mm. So it would be like, you know, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna kill this beeper. Yeah, by the way, there's actually no law on the books in America that says you can't use profanity on television. No, not, there's just, no law against that, it. It's that is just, just part of the Federal com, com, uh, Federal Communications Commission. Uh, they can was, fine you for it. It was an appointed body. All they do is uh, listen to complaints and maybe fine you for mm-hmm. uh, the amount of complaints that they had to do. There's it, it, there's it, no there's no actual and there's nobody really enforcing this. Yeah, which they went to jail and, for. And, and exactly because that would be the, the First Amendment. But yeah, which, the, the government can't put you in jail for saying something. They well, just yeah. but it doesn't mean you can't be fined. It doesn't mean you know, Twitter has to host it, you know, yeah. but, uh, or, you know, your, your content can be pulled. You'll face consequences for saying, yeah, your show might be get... canceled. That's not censorship. Yeah. That's people saying we don't want that. And yeah. that's, um, that's capitalism for you. But, uh, um, but in any case, uh, so we had beeps. Yeah. 
Then sometimes what they would do is they would just drop out the sound really briefly, which was a little less jarring. Mm. Uh, sometimes they could mix in the just they could mix out the dialogue and keep the background sounds, so that was even even less jarring. Yeah. yeah. Uh, however, uh, what they would sometimes do is they would have uh, an alternate audio for that line. They'd bring in a voice actor, sometimes the original actor. Mm -hmm. Or just someone who sounds enough like them that for like one word you can get away Mm. with it. And uh, sometimes the replacements are hilarious. I think it was Goodfellas that replaced the word motherfucker with motherfather. (laughs) This motherfother (laughs) over here. uh, It was uh, motherfather and son of a beach towel were uh, (laughs) were both from from Goodfellas. Which completely, you can't take Goodfellas seriously after Ray Liotta says son of a beach towel. Son of a beach towel. (laughs) That's hilarious. Um... There's, so there's that. Um, there, uh, there's actually a fun uh, del- uh, special feature on the Hot Fuzz DVD slash Blu-ray mm. uh, that is they knew that their movie had a lot of profanity in it, and they knew that they also wanted it to be shown on TV or on airlines someday. So what they did was they recorded alternate versions of the scenes yeah, where yeah. the characters were saying something ridiculous. Yeah, that's but, actually pretty common practice. Yeah, but they, they went full bore and made it as ridiculous as possible. And they would just make sure it sort of phonetically sounded similar. So there's like a scene in that movie where Simon Pegg is surprised by something. And he goes, Jesus Christ. And then they did an alternate take where he goes, peas and rice. <laughs> like very clearly. One of my favorite jokes in a comedy called Johnny Dangerously, there is a gangster who only speaks in TV safe, like uh, yeah. uh, 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 profanity. Yeah, far- so, farking ice holes. You, and that sort these of thing, yeah. farking ice holes over here. And you're like, what was that? <laughs> and it's, oh, it's a fine, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. Um, so movies that might actually have been improved by edits for TV. We actually talked about it not that long ago when we talked about uh, the films of the late, great Carl Reiner, uh, The Man with Two Brains. Hmm. They cut some scenes from Man with Two Brains they should not have cut. There are some funny there's, scenes they, that are in the TV version of that movie what they that are did, not in the other what versions. What they did in The Man with Two Brains is there's a scene that actually uh, is a setup for a payoff, and the payoff made its way into the final cut of the film, but the setup uh, didn't. Oh, the so, Citizen's Divorce? No, Well, that and also the uh, the sun-baked your Z-cells. Yeah. There's a scene, a, a rather extended sequence, actually, in the film where... Um, Steve Martin plays a doctor who has a brain in a jar and he can communicate psychically with it. Watch that movie. It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but he leaves it out like on a shelf in a cottage and some sunlight starts like beaming through a crystal in the window and starts burning the brain. Yeah. And he has to rush home in, in the car and he comes in and he like strokes the brain. He says, are you okay? And then uh, asks the brain to mm-hmm. recite the alphabet and the brain can't say the letter Z. It's like, and it's like, what's t- what is what name that animal with the black and white stripes? What is that called? And they says, oh, that's an ebra, that's a ebra. Yeah, and you just go to see it at the ooh, and uh, <laughs> and, and, like, and, and he kind of slumps, and, and he slumps in his chair. He's like, the sun baked your Z cells. And later on in the movie, yeah. uh, some the brain is turned into an oven. And he, he asks the brain to count to ten, and he can't say the number nine. He spins around and says, "You cooked her nines." <laughs> so it's actually, yeah, like it actually, it doesn't. Yeah. It's completely absurd when he just all of a sudden says, "You cooked her nine. Why did he ask her to count to ten? It makes no sense. Yeah, it's it's actually better and funnier if you set it up. Uh-huh. Uh, it's still absurd and wonderful if not. But like, yeah. So that's an example. That's a definite example. Of one that I think is actually funnier for it. Hmm. Um, there's actually there's another one we actually covered recently. There's a movie called Ants. Uh, which was the other CGI bug movie. They both came out the same year, Ants and a Bug's Life. Ants is not a good movie. 
I was gonna say it right no, now. No, it's it's dated horrendously. It's, it's not, ugly to look. It's, yeah, at. it's not not a well designed movie. Like the designs were novel and the CGI yeah. was revolutionary at the time. But yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it's it's, well. it, it's 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 aside from the historical novelty of it, it's not good. Mm. Um, there's Histor- a historical novelty. That's a good uh, oxymoron. There you go. But uh, there is a uh, there's a scene in the movie where they are at the sort of ant tavern where they go after they work. And, oh, I, the, yeah, yeah. and they're drinking booze, and the whole idea is that they're drinking from a smaller insect. Mm, it's from an aphid. Yeah, drinking from an aphid. And um, someone asks the mid-lead ant, hey, you want some more aphid? And he's like, no, no thanks, I don't want to drink anything uh, from the anus of another creature. Which is just a gross way to say that. In the commercials, they changed it to from the caboose of another creature. Funnier word. <laughs> Sometimes word choice matters all makes all the difference in comedy. Yeah. Like when you're wor- working on a joke, when you tell a joke over and over again, picking the right word, like where does this take place? Does it take place in Akron? Does it take place in Walla Walla? <laughs> Bingo! All of a sudden it's funnier. So that's, that's cool. one where the, the censored version is actually funnier than the actual version. Memorize these funny place names. Walla Walla, Cucamonga, Keokuk, Seattle. Simpsons reference. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I actually just remembered another really, really good, uh, funnier uh, uh, TV edit. So you might recall that in the Die Hard movies, John McClane's big catchphrase mm. is when he says, yippee Kaye, motherfucker. Mm. Now, you can't say motherfucker on television. Well, you can, but you'll get fined. So they don't want to do it. So what happens is they would cut it, change it, whatever. In Die Hard 2, at the end of the movie, when John McClane's like about to blow something up and he lifts up his Rem- gun. remembers the moment he said that before yeah. and wants to say it again. Yeah, because apparently that just does it for him. And he says, uh, instead of saying, yippee Kaye, motherfucker, because it's on television or basic cable, he says... Yippee Kaye, Mr. Falcon. <laughs> there is nobody named Mr. Falcon in that movie. No. The bad guy is not named Mr. Falcon. There's nobody named Mr. Falcon. I've heard tell, and I can't say this with from actual memory, that there may have been a bit at the beginning of the movie where the bad guys are setting up all their tech in like a church or something, where they added a little line of ADR with someone saying something like, Everything's ready, Mr. Falcon. Like, but there's no one named Mr. Falcon in the movie. It's really funny. It's the stupidest damn thing. Um, um, yeah, say what again? I dare you! I double dare you, little sucker. Um, that's uh, one. Just, I've I've had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday through Friday plane. That that's arguably funnier. Uh, I I suppose so. Given how hard they had to fight to have the cusses put in originally, like yeah. they shot it without that line. Yeah, snakes on a plane was originally going to be PG thirteen, but then they realized they were getting a lot of uh, excitement from people who wanted it to be a little bit more like an exploitation movie. They wanted so to they hear Samuel added- Jackson like shit talk snakes. So they added those scenes. And you can tell that when Samuel L. Jackson's having this, I've had it with these motherfucking snakes in this motherfucking plane. You can uh, tell he's against a different background. Like yeah. they just threw him against a, a gray wall. Well, they they also add, they added more violence and they yeah. added the like the sex scenes were added mm-hmm. after the fact as well. Uh, I'm gonna say it right now. Mm-hmm. Snakes on a plane is actually very fun. People it, give that movie it's, such a it's bad, but it is fun. It's exactly it's, what yeah. it's trying to be. Like it's not it knows it's bad. What's the plot? A guy saw us. I'm gonna put snakes on his plane. Plot. That's my, all you need. My favorite bit in that movie is when they go they they do this weird thing where um so there's this guy, he's a witness in a crime, and um, you know, they have to kill him before he gets to uh to America. So they put poisonous snakes on this plane. Mm. 
Great idea. And they go to the one guy, like one underling goes to the main bad guy who's behind all of this. And the main bad guy is like, you know, like it's those scenes in action movies where you see the bad guy practicing fighting so that later on when they fight, it makes sense that they know kickboxing. He's doing all of that. One of the characters on the plane is a professional kickboxer. They never fight. <laughs> it's so fucking... I don't know if it's meta or just a mistake, but it's hilarious. Um, but someone literally asked the bad guy, isn't this a little extreme? And the bad guy says, you think I would be doing this if I hadn't exhausted every other possibility? And I'm like, every other possibility? Did you try a moose on a sled? Right? Did you try chinchillas in a taxi cab? Like, every other possibility? You went to snakes on a plane? My God. Look, when all you have is a snake, <laughs> tend to see every problem as a plane. <laughs> I still wanted to see a sequel to that that was uh, Snakes on a Space Station. Where they no, had to, like, uh, no, they had to send Samuel L. Jackson up there because he's good at snakes and stuff. Which would lead to the conclusion of the trilogy, Snakes on Earth. Just all over the planet. They're snakes, man. We have to send Samuel Jackson after them. Hey, you know where snakes come from? <laughs> I Earth. I know, right? Snakes are earthlings. They're blows, all here already. Blows your mind. Every snake is already here. I like the idea that snakes are earthlings. It's hilarious. Um, okay, uh, but yeah. Okay, but hopefully that answered your question a little bit. Let's move on. We uh, fell down a rabbit hole. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, here's a letter from Kevin from Atlanta, and this is taking me to task for something. Oh, snap. Um, while I love the show, uh, Whitney's broad generalization of why people watch horror movies is reductive and upsetting. Uh, I posited uh, uh, sort of a nihilism problem and uh, why a lot of people are drawn to horror because it's appealing to something nihilistic within us. I think you were talking about um, a specific subgenre too. Were you talking about like torture porn or something? No, I was talking about horror in Just general. in general. Yeah. I didn't um, this conversation. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I was and I was speaking in broad strokes. Um, I've seen every Nightmare on Elm Street movie over thirty times. I've never rooted for Fr Freddy Krueger. I always saw him as a baby boomer boogeyman whose careless disregard for reality. Uh, created my disaffected Generation X. Mm. Everybody doesn't embrace the genre for the same reason. As a survivor of childhood trauma, who was a preteen during the heyday of the franchise, actually related deeply, mostly, to the Elm Street kids. One must also not equate having a nihilistic view with the world with celebrating nihilism. I'm an extreme empath and more empathetic towards... Uh, and a more empathetic world sounds wonderful. In my experience, life in the United States is cheap. As I'm writing this, my governor is suing my mayor for trying to protect my community from the pandemic. Uh, my experience in America has been one, a one continuous nightmare. I'm not celebrating this. I wish it weren't true. Therefore, horror movies, even if they're most vile, ring truer to me than any other genre. I love your show. My, my tricky... Tri tri Critique is meant with no ill will. Thank you, Kevin from Atlanta. Uh, I think that's a fair critique. I, yeah. I will say this. I think I remember the context of the conversation mm. now. I think we were talking about when horror movie franchises go on long enough and the only consistent well, part of them mm. is the villain. And it seems as though there are entries in the franchise where the characters are so broadly drawn or badly written or written mm. to be such bad people that it's just making an excuse for the bad guy to kill them, and that ultimately makes the bad guy feel more like an anti-hero. Yeah, yeah. And this also goes hand-in-hand hand with this weird sort of moral righteousness that's come along with a lot of those slashers. Yeah. Uh, it's been noticed by critics for many generations now that Jason only kills uh, the, the people who are engaging in some kind of vice. Yeah, drugs, uh, the, the ones alcohol, are, yeah, premarital sex. The, the, the ones that yeah. are drink, drinking. And very conservative smoking. vices, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the ones that are smoking weed, drinking, and having premarital mm -hmm. sex, 
uh, are the ones that are going to be uh, slashed yeah. up first. Yeah. Now, he doesn't he doesn't like go after people who are exploiting a capitalist system mm-hmm. and not paying people a living wage. No, he goes after people who are having premarital sex. No. He's very conservative. So so yeah, there's this like conservative righteousness yeah. to a killer like Jason. Now uh, you could say, well, that's very plot driven because if you go back to the original Friday the Thirteenth. Jason died as a result of neglectful counselors who were busy yeah. having sex. Yeah, irresponsible teenagers so was, who were not. It was more mature, about yeah. irresponsibility than it was about the sex. But as you yeah. go on, that's go on in the series. That is uh, that element of it does kind of fall away, and it's kind a of little, forgotten. A little. Every once in a while, they bring it back. One of my favorite bits is in uh, Friday Thirteenth mm. Six where the camp is actually up and running, which is something they hadn't really done before. And Jason actually walks through a room full of kids mm. and he doesn't kill them. Yeah. He, he doesn't associate kids with anything worth killing. They've done anything yeah. wrong. So, so Jason actually... Uh, one of the best like, lines uh, in the whole franchise. So what did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great bit. Uh, uh, so yeah, but yeah, um, Freddy Krueger, uh, yeah, is actually very much more, and in fact, most of Wes Craven's films are more about sort of intergenerational crime, mm-hmm. how uh, one generation actually has to pay for the sins of the generation that came before it. Mm-hmm. It's and the, the theme of Friday the Thirteenth, yeah. it's the film, uh, it's a big part of uh, People Under the Stairs, uh, r- uh, the ripple um, effects of mm-hmm. uh, trauma and sin. Uh, yeah, yeah, is yeah, it's all over Wes Craven. Uh, I'm not going to yeah. argue with you, Kevin. Uh, over. Uh, reasons to see Friday the 13th and how uh, I'm not going to say that relating to the characters in that is sort of a bad interpretation of those movies. In fact, that's the reason they're made. That's the way they're written. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do also think that Freddy Krueger is a very appealing as a character. Mm. Uh, He's, he's funny. He's godlike. Yeah. He he has has all kinds of powers. And I think one could be forgiven for going to those movies and not necessarily relating to uh, being a serial killer like Freddy uh, Krueger, but projecting yourself and getting a power fantasy over having that kind of power that Freddy has. Freddy Freddy's such a weird example because he was a child murderer. There's nothing fun about that. Mm-hmm. But once he's in the movies, he just becomes this kind of prankster god who's actually like in music videos with the fat boys yeah. or appearing on... There were kids talk shows on like Nickelodeon where they would have like teenagers mm-hmm. like interviewing famous people and Freddy Krueger would show up in character. Mm, Robert England in the yeah. makeup with in the costume. And I, yeah. I, I was neat and all, but it was really kind of taking the edge off of that character, mm. and it was making him way more friendly than he ever probably should have been. Hence, we got Wes Craven's new nightmare. So, I think oh, here's what I'm going to say. I, I think, I, in fact, I remember yeah. when I think around the time uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street Part Five, or maybe even Freddy's Dead, came out. Mm. Uh, there was going to be a National Freddy Krueger Day. Like, it was such a popular character that they were going to give him a national holiday. And I think that's fun if you're a horror fan. Yeah. Uh, But then, of course, a lot of groups came up and said, wait a minute, the character is a murderer. In fact, he's killed children. Yeah. This is not the kind of character we want to celebrate. And at the time, Mm -hmm. that was like, sort of like the Tipper Gore censor crowd, like the extreme right-wing politicians were saying, you can't celebrate Freddy Krueger. So we just sort of threw a popcorn and said, no, of course we can celebrate Freddy Krueger because fuck it. I would actually argue uh, that they had kind of a point in that case. Well, of course (laughs) they had a point. Yeah, uh, that was one of the few opportunities where I'm just sort of like, yeah, maybe a holiday's one step too far. But (laughs) but Kevin actually mentioned something in his letter that was, goes to something I was kind of really, I think we agree on a certain level here. Oh yeah. Because I was saying that uh, horror, because they're about fear and death, and we go to these things because we enjoy seeing fear and death, because there's a part of us that likes to see destruction, and there's a nihilistic part of it inside of ourselves. Because I think that also appeals to something that uh, is also 
recognizes uh, like the apathy and the hate and the the entropy that's uh. going on in the world. And you said in your letter, Kevin, that horror rings really true because you're looking around at the world and you're seeing that it's just kind of shit. Yeah. And horror reflects that. And horror is not necessarily appealing to cynicism, but it is appealing to a, a definite recognition of how dark life can be. Um, and that's, and that's part of what I was getting at. I, I think, I think the reason why I didn't bring to, up to a defend counter- myself. A no, no, no. I think the reason I didn't bring up a counterpoint is that we're talking about something more specific, but mm. uh, to Kevin's point. Uh, yeah. I think that a lot of people who love the horror genre are incredibly kind, decent people who have actively working, um, you know, whatever part of the brain houses empathy, that part mm. of the brain works great. And I think that just because you like horror doesn't make you cynical or nihilistic. Uh, horror can be uh, an incredibly useful genre for people who are working through stuff. You know, like uh, I was a very scared child just of, of everything. And watching horror movies and learning about how horror movies are made was incredibly liberating to me because I was able to work through those things actively rather than just hide from them. Mm. Um, so that's one example of something I've went through. A lot of people go through different things and... Uh, different horror movies uh, affect people in different ways and Mm -hmm. all of that is entirely valid and significant and um, it's not our job to tell anyone how they're watching a movie and I think that there is a tendency sometimes for critics who are making sort of a a vague observation or Mm -hmm. throwing out just an idea uh, to accidentally or worse intentionally make a big sweeping well, statement that obviously doesn't apply to everybody. Art is very subjective. We're all going through things individually, but there are patterns and there are uh, ways in which movies connect to a, a lot of people that are worth exploring, even if they don't apply to everybody yeah. and or so, even most people. But yeah, I, I, that, that's an excellent point, actually. As, as critics, we tend to speak axiomatically. We try to make declarative statements. Yeah, like because a, we're a, confident in our a, opinion. A, a scientific hypothesis. And so yeah. we're going to just say something really broad in general. So like I said, I was speaking in very broad strokes. Yeah. I know that doesn't apply to everybody. And yeah. I, I apologize if it sounded yeah. uh, like a little bit brusque. Just but, because um, we're confident in our opinions, we're yeah. trying to be confident in our opinions, that doesn't mean we don't think that they're but, opinions. Yeah, that we know that they're opinions. We're trying to, to yeah. po- posit a new kind of theory and mm-hmm. why... Uh, certain kind of dark things persist throughout horror in the horror community. Yeah. I think yeah. nihilism might be going along well, with all of this. So I, we're, uh, I think that there, I think it's best. The horror genre is actually one of the most empathetic genres because it actually wants you to, to feel, feel what the feel, char- feel fear like the characters. Yeah. yeah. We want you to feel what the characters are feeling in a drama. You can take a step back and look at it objectively and still see what happened in a story and appreciate it. You might be able to do the same for comedy and uh, a lot of horror and some horror movies are working on a broader level and they don't really care if you're feeling scared, but a lot of horror movies do, and they're trying to really deeply connect to you. And if you're walled off from that due to apathy or cynicism, you're not going to feel what I don't know. For example, something like The Exorcist is trying to make you feel. Yeah, you're, um, not, you're not going to feel what the victims feel. You're going to feel what Freddy feels. Yeah, and and there's also the the. I think there's a lot of people who think that if I'm not scared, it's not a horror movie. Horror movies are about fear, mm-hmm. and if it's not your specific fear, this is an opportunity for you to empathize with the fear of others. Mm-hmm. And yeah, movies I think should guide you through that. And if it doesn't do that, it might not be a great horror movie. But 
yeah, I think horror movies are an incredibly powerful genre. It's arguably my favorite genre if I have one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm glad we were able to have this conversation and maybe clear the air a little bit because yeah, if that's what came across of Whitney's statement, I don't I don't agree with that. Um, yeah. Uh, here's a letter from Joe. Okay. Hi, Hi Joe. Joe. Uh, hello, Mr. Beast and Mr. Rockmeister McCool. I hope all is well, as well as can be expected. Uh, my name is Joe, and I have two public access television shows here in Connecticut. Awesome. Uh, yes, two. And yes, those are still a thing. Uh, uh, one show, Sci-Fi Comics and Coffee, deals with news and reviews, uh, uh, science fiction, comics, TV, film, etc. The second, Royalty Free Geek, I run fan-made films and show as well as public domain genre films, mostly sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. I have a few including some animation and some serials. I'm wondering if you might be able to help with any suggestions uh, that might help in the public domain part. Uh, mm. Thanks, and I look forward to your next episode the next and your next year on the Schmodown. Thanks for everything, Joe. So you're looking for suggestions for public domain movies yeah. that could be shown well, on your uh, show. It, it's It's been uh, exploited to no end uh, how Night of the Living Dead is in the public domain. There was a yeah. copyright mistake. It lapsed into the public domain immediately, yeah. and any rinky-dink uh, theater or home video company could put on an edition of Land of the Living Dead. You can, to this day, you can go into drugstores that have DVD bins, and yes, those still exist, and get some cheap in a flat envelope copy of Night of the Living Dead that probably is made from really crappy elements and doesn't look good. Yeah. Uh, luckily, George Romero has been able to put his name on certain DVD editions. Mm-hmm. So he was eventually able to get some money from Night of the Living Dead, but for the longest time he didn't see a dime. Yeah. Um, the trick thing with public domain is that, and we were actually just having a conversation with this on a Google uh, Hangout with some of our Patreon uh, subscribers. Um, public domain is actually kind of complicated. It should be as simple as if a movie is this old, it's in the public domain. Mm-hmm. However, there are other reasons why movies go into public domain that aren't necessarily well advertised. Stuff like missing copyright notices or the studio simply forgot to renew it and didn't bother. Mm. Um, It's also possible for elements of a film to be in the public domain, but other elements not to be. Like the film, we were just talking about this with Commando Cody. We talked about Commando Cody twice recently on two different episodes. And how uh, Commando Cody, the character, is still owned. Yeah. But the films starring Commando Cody are in the public domain. For example, uh, the Max Fleischer Superman cartoons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of which are absolutely amazing. Some of which are shockingly racist. Don't show those. Uh, Those films are in the public domain. Superman clearly is not. So you can release the Max Fleischer Superman cartoons or screen those cartoons, but you don't have the rights to Superman. Yeah. Um... So and also there's also this weird wrinkle that got introduced in the last 15 years or so. I think it was a Supreme Court case that that decided that movies can be taken out of the public domain. They can be bought again. Also, uh, uh, yeah. So like if you had a previous claim on it, you can get that back. I think there's this weird thing where I, for example, here's here's one that I'd heard. And, um, and again, we're neither of us are lawyers, so if we're wrong about this, we apologize. But. It's a Wonderful Life was not a hit film when it came out. It was largely forgotten, mm-hmm. and indeed, like some films of the era, like uh, the Audrey Hepburn Cary Grant film Charade, the studio just didn't bother to renew it, and it lapsed into public domain. Yeah. Which is why, for many many years, it was on TV constantly at Christmas time, which helped cement its reputation as a classic because it was inescapable. People end up seeing it no matter what, and then they realize, holy shit, this movie's amazing. Mm. Uh, 
it's my understanding, and I could be wrong about this, that the movie It's a Wonderful Life is still in the public domain, but the soundtrack is not. So you can't yeah, screen uh, it because I think like Paramount still owns the soundtrack or whatever. So you can, so you can take images, but you can't yeah. take sound from it. That's theoretically, that's true. I don't know all the details, but that's one example. So what are some but, stuff uh, that you're pretty sure is in public domain? And we are not lawyers and no, this could be wrong. There are some that I'm positive are in the public domain because these are the ones you see turning up on a lot of those. Uh, I'm not sure how common these are anymore because people don't collect DVDs with the veracity that, yeah. that they used to, but uh, you would often see Night of the Living Dead. That's mm-hmm. in public domain. Dementia 13 was on these sets. Uh, yeah. The Brain That Wouldn't Die. Carnival of Souls, which is actually a really excellent movie mm-hmm. uh, and has a really good Criterion release, but that's a public domain film and that would show up all, all the time. Um, and House on Haunted Hill, the William Castle movie. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, those are all fair, in the yeah. public domain and uh, Carnival of Souls and House on Haunted Hill are, and Night of the Living Dead are all just flat out excellent movies. Yeah. Uh, there are some movies from the silent era, like a uh, lot in the silent like, era, like Nosferatu and even uh, Universal's Phantom of the Opera. Oh, I think the General uh, is actually technically a public yeah, domain. A lot of those films yeah. are old enough that they're in the public. Although the domain soundtrack though. that is sometimes accompanies those films might yeah. not be, so you got to be careful. Uh, Gulliver's Travels, feature animated film from 1939. I'm, oh, that's got great I'm animation. Ninety percent confident that is free to use in public mm-hmm. uh, domain, and it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't get a lot of play because it just no one cared and nursed it like they did Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, which came out at about the same time. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm not sure what elements you're using to broadcast on public television. Yeah, uh, like a lot of these things you can watch, you can find them online. A lot of these are probably just on YouTube. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, if, if you're looking to broadcast, I'm not sure what kind of like if you need a, a three quarters VHS master or something. But mm-hmm. uh, if if those tapes exist, it's entirely likely that you can probably rent them from a studio for really cheap, but then you have to pay money for them. So oh, I, I don't know what kind of broadcasting technology you have to get enough. some of these things. I thought of another really good one. Uh, the Last Man on Earth, starring Vincent Price. Oh, there you go. That's yeah. a really good one. If you've, if you've ever seen the movie I Am Legend with Will Smith, Last Man on Earth was the first adaptation of that for the cinema. Mm-hmm. stars Vincent Price as the last human being on Earth. The entire planet has been taken over by vampires. Uh, it's actually really ideal for a low-budget horror movie because it basically just takes place in a house under siege. But it's good. Like, it's a legitimately good version of that story. I like that version. In fact, it's probably my favorite version. I know a lot of the films that showed up on Mystery Science Theater 3000, the reason they showed up on Mystery Science Theater 3000 was because they were in the public domain. So yeah. if you want to see The Brain That Wouldn't Die, mm-hmm. uh, Lord knows why you want to. Yeah. But or if Manos, see, The Hands yeah. of Fate. Uh, yeah, Manos, The Hands of Fate might is, be, in, is in public domain. They made, some, they made sequels to that. Like in oh, like years later, so and they're on Amazon now. So I've been meaning to get around to the the Manos sequels or prequels or whatever else they did. Oh, the original silent version of the Phantom of the Opera. I said you that. could. Did you say that one? Yeah, I didn't remember you saying that explicitly. Okay, um, so that's that's mm-hmm. another one right there. Uh, I think some of the old Popeye cartoons might be. But you should, uh, the, you should be the careful early, about that. The early ones, but yeah, yeah. be careful with Popeye because yeah. you, you don't want to piss because off that's not one of the character isn't. Yeah, yeah, you don't, you don't want to piss yeah. off Ted Turner. Um, Santa Claus Congress of the Martians. Oh, I yeah, think. that is that's a public domain. That's public domain. Although the music might not be, so be careful about that one. Mm-hmm. Um, the Screaming Skull. We actually did a fake MST3K oh, bit right, with the Screaming did, Skull. Yeah. 
uh, for the Schmodown a while ago. And the only reason we could do that is because we made damn sure that one is in the public domain. <laughs> so that one's in the public domain. I can tell you without it's not a good movie, but it's, uh, it's in the public domain. There's a, you uh, probably just there is a Wikipedia page that yeah. will just give you a list of all of the films that are uh, yeah, and there are websites the dedicated domain. explicitly to this. But you know they're not you know they're not asking for a list of movies, asking what actually might be good. Yeah. Um, Teenagers in Matter of Space is in public domain, but very fun. It, it's it's it, it's it's fun. A, it's fun to watch. It's it's a bad movie, it's but it's quite fun. a bad film. But yeah, yeah. Um, I, I hear the Wasp Woman is in public domain, but I'm not sure. That's another um, classic. You know, I don't know if it is, and yeah. I, you know what? I haven't seen the Wasp Woman. Mm. But yeah, uh, Carnival of Souls is probably the and uh, uh, House on Haunted Hill are probably the, my my biggest recommendations. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, hopefully that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, well, you know what's in the public domain? Debbie does Dallas. Yeah, but that the, one's the other, weird. The other fi- like that I know- one's weird because actually the Dallas Cowboys like effectively sued that because they use like them oh, no, in the movie. Okay. So I think that I think they actually have some control over how that's distributed. Because yeah, I I know uh, a big issue with I've worked at a couple movie houses that show midnight films, mm. and it's always bandied about like what's a good film to show at midnight. We have to sort of throw up our programming a little bit. We don't want to mm. just show the same, you know, how many times can you watch Evil Dead 2 at midnight? It's yeah. like, well, let's be a little it, more creative. Only so many people are going to go after a yeah. while. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we, and we don't want to ruin Evil Dead 2. Uh, so why don't we try other famous midnight movies? So occasionally you'll see other famous but not as frequently shown midnight movies like uh, like El Topo or Female <laughs> Trouble at, at midnight. <coughs> and every, at every one of these midnight houses, like every couple of months we bring up, can we get Deep Throat? Can we just book Deep Throat? It's the, the most famous adult mm. film ever made. It, it, was, it was a blockbuster. It, it's in, it made so much in money. In terms of how much money it made <coughs> in, uh, versus its budget, mm. it is the single most financially successful movie of all time. Uh, mm. It's beating, beating even things like you know Clerks and Halloween. Or Is it Paranormal yeah. Activity even? Even Paranormal Activity, yeah. Okay. No, it, it was insane how much money Deep Throat made. And uh, the problem is because it was so successful unexpectedly, they didn't really pay too much attention as to who like has the rights to this thing. Yeah. So it's hard to say. So a lot of like mob guys came in and claimed they owned deep throat. So I always joked, why don't we just screen it and see what mob guys show up (laughs) and then, and then we'll know, and then we'll know and we can negotiate with them. And if they ask for too much money, we'll say no, but we'll take your number and maybe we can pay later. (laughs) If you know, if, if you know, Vinny the hacksaw comes by demanding his cut of the money, and we give him his money. We'll what give, would we do? We'll give him his money. It's here like, you go, and here's a shiny new hacksaw just for you. Yeah. So, okay, Vinny the hacksaw, can we get your number because we're going to want to book this in future? Yeah, Vinny the hacksaw is not going to give you his personal info. No, I guess not. <laughs> that might be naive. <laughs> so yeah, it's like deep throat. Truly, that's in the public domain. No, you you don't know who you're going to get in trouble with yeah. when you screen deep throat. Anyway, uh, hopefully they give you something to work with. You might have known all of those already. I mean, there's a ton of stuff out there that well, just no one cares about. Yeah, Ed, it's uh, not on any list because no one cares. I'd, I'd say Ed Wood's movies, but you probably know Ed Wood's movies yeah. already. Um, you probably knew a lot of the ones we suggested mm-hmm. already. But anyway, some of the Hercules movies, I'm pretty sure, are uh, in public mm-hmm. domain as well. So I'm going to look into that. Um, but uh, in any case, that sounds really, really fun. I actually envy you. I kind of wish I could do that, but mm-hmm. uh, it's not an option. Uh, let's move on. All right, let's get another letter up yeah. here. Uh, here is a letter from B. Peterson. Oh, hi, uh, B. Peterson. B. Peterson uh, writes us frequently, and I like mm-hmm. I like to read uh, some of B. Peterson's letters. Uh, it's Dear Bibbs and Whitney, in the last week, thanks to the Criterion sale, uh, as of this recording, Barnes & Noble is still selling Criterion videos at half off. 
Now, Greg Tarion videos are usually like they're high like, price. They're, they're but, like Tiffany items. They're like forty bucks a pop. But you can get them pop. for the price of a typical DVD right now. Yeah. And that's a really. If I had any money, yeah, <laughs> I um, might I'd, actually I'd, buy I'd, something. I'd be showering in those things if I yeah. had you know, more disposable income. Uh, in the last week, thanks to Criterion Sale, I've finally begun amassing my physical media collection, mm. which has also meant getting a Blu-ray player and a projector. Oh, Ooh, very that's nice. cool. Fancy. Um, you could say it's been an expensive week. Oh, yeah. Well, worth the investment, I would say. So naturally, my dad has asked why it's necessary. It's not cost-effective. Most of the movies I've purchased can be found somewhere on streaming, and well, isn't physical media just outdated? Uh, I'm not sure how to respond. I could mm. say that the quality of the image is no longer dependent on the Wi-Fi connection or downloaded storage space, yep. and I could say that the, they're physically mine now, but I'd rather just hand the mic over to you. Okay. What is the argument for physical media? How many titles would you say you guys have, and do you have a preferred setup for watching them? Thank you. See you in the next one, B. Peterson. Uh, okay, first off, the argument uh, against physical media is pretty obvious, where it's convenient. Hmm. It doesn't take up a lot of space. You're not worried about uh, uh, you know spending extra money on the technology. And a lot of people are perfectly content with whatever happens to be available on whatever streaming services they subscribe to. Yeah, if, if you have four or five different streaming services, chances are you're plenty entertained. Yeah. You can fill the days with whatever's on If there. all you care about is being entertained by something, mm. then one could make the convincing argument that physical media is largely unnecessary. However... If you have actual specific interests in not just seeing a movie, but having access to a movie or TV show or what have you, uh, then physical media is the way to go because streaming services aren't curated. Aren't cur well, not, some are. So the Criterion Channel is pretty carefully curated. Yeah, but like if you look at, for example, uh, one of the streaming services that is connected to an actual uh, studio. For example, HBO Max is Warner Brothers' uh, uh, streaming service. Right. So you would think they would have literally everything Warner Brothers has ever put out. They do fucking not. <laughs> Good golly, no. They don't even have, last I checked, they didn't even have all the Harry Potter movies on there. Yeah, now, that's I know a that, little bizarre. Now, there are reasons for all of this. Some of them are tied up in agreements with other streaming services, and eventually that will make it on there. But the other difference is that they only care about what they think people are excited about now. And the only people that they care about are the mainstream people who are the most likely to buy the most subscriptions. Which, so, is, which is, to be fair, the bulk of the viewing audience. And that's totally true, and I'm not saying that, that's, that, they're, that they're bad or anything like that, but if you actually care about not just seeing a movie, but making sure that you can see any movie then physical media can be really, really helpful and important because there's a lot of movies that have been released on physical media in one form or another that are not available on any streaming service and due to legal issues may never be. Mm. So that's something you might need to actually seriously consider. Other things that are actually a, a major benefit in physical media, uh, yeah, if your Wi-Fi goes down, you can still watch movies. That doesn't happen that often. However, there are people in this country who live in places with actually very poor internet service it's actually a fundamental issue mm. um, in this country and it's something we're, we're debating right now should wi-fi be a right that's we're not really talking about it right now the second because it seems like there are more immediate needs but that's a concern we're going to have to deal with because living without access to the internet is increasingly less reasonable mm. as our society continues to wrap itself completely around interconnectivity so 
until we get that resolved and we make sure that every human being on the planet has Wi-Fi, not everyone's going to have equal access. And so having physical media is actually incredibly useful well, and, and, and important. And even if you do have uh, media access, you might have a shitty provider. Yeah. You, it's just going to cut out occasionally, interrupt yeah, your movie, or just yeah. not be not give you access to a movie. You might be sharing bit. your internet with other people, and mm-hmm. sometimes like at 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock, you can't see anything because everyone's trying to stream something. Yeah. So no, that's an uh, issue as well. Streaming quality has has gone up over the years. Really but, has. But um, when you buy a DVD or a Blu-ray, you can, especially if you're getting one that's specially curated like a Criterion disc, mm-hmm. you can be uh, r- pretty confident that that's been cleaned up and it's mm-hmm. going to look as good as possible. Yeah. The Criterion Collection very specifically has altered films in such a way so that they are going to look as screen accurate as possible whatever uh, given whatever technology they're going to be shown on. Yeah. So if you get a Criterion DVD, for instance, those were designed to look as good as possible on a cathode ray tube TV and, yeah. uh, and look as accurate to the theatrical experience as possible. They got rid of all that motion smoothing stuff. Yep. They tried to keep the, the film grain intact. Uh, mm-hmm. They were the ones sort of carrying uh, the purity of the image alive. Yeah. And then when flat screens came up, you want to get a Blu-ray because that's geared for that technology True. in fact there's a reason why criterion blu-rays still have color bars on them yeah uh, to you help you to help you help actually you adjust, make sure your tv looks just your television yeah. so the film looks just right yeah that's uh, another factor when, yeah. when you're getting a streaming service you don't know what the light levels are going to be mm-hmm. you don't know how it's going to be mixed often sometimes they're in the wrong aspect ratio that's true actually especially in something like uh, uh amazon i find does this a lot mm-hmm. there are films that are in the wrong aspect ratio that are films that are honestly pirated on there actually pirated like people who don't own the rights are able to upload them to amazon prime i don't understand how that's happened there's like but, multiple copies of the same movie yeah and like some know, of them are really amazon. really shitty you don't know if you're getting that um you again you, uh and another factor and this is again not everyone's going to care about this and i grant you this but if you do care streaming services are pretty sparse when it comes to supplemental features disney's actually to their credit has been keeping some of those alive and they'll have like documentaries about some other various films on disney plus but if you do care about things like commentary tracks, behind the scenes documentaries, deleted books. scenes, yeah, books some, sometimes, some yeah, yeah, uh, books uh, essays, essays yeah. yeah, these are often available in physical media and they get lost. Mm. Like there are actually like Criterion has actually like lost the rights to distribute some of their films over the years. Like they used to have the definitive home video release of The Silence of the Lambs. And on that list, they had an incredible commentary track from the people who worked on the film. They had supplemental features about real-life serial killers with commentary by people who are, actually do serial killer profiling. They don't have the rights to like distribute that content anymore. So you can only thing you can do is you can get that DVD and you can get that out there. Um, but uh, By the way, if you want to read a, a really great essay... Uh, 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 a friend of ours is doing the essay for Parasite. Oh, yeah, Ingu Kang. Ingu Kang is doing the Parasite Really essay. wonderful film and, critic. Yeah. And if you don't read her work already, you absolutely should. Yeah. She also, I think she does a lot of TV as well. But yeah, she's been tapped to do the uh, Criterion Edition essay for uh, uh, Parasite. And man, they could not have picked a better person. She's going to write the shit out yeah. of that essay. I can't wait to read that. I think it's the first time somebody I've like known personally it does, has done a Criterion essay. I think you're right. Yeah, and that's and that's a dream of mine is to be oh, asked yeah. to do a Criterion. We, we were very lucky. Yeah. We actually got to do. Here's something you you won't get on any uh, streaming service. Uh, we did commentary tracks for official Blu-ray releases earlier this year. That's right for uh, Brewster's Millions and Very Bad Things, which were recently reissued on Blu-ray by Shout Factory. Yeah. Uh, if you s- stream those online, you'll get the movie. You might even get the cleaned up version. I'm not sure, but you won't get our commentary track. You definitely won't get our commentary. <laughs> we don't see any money from that, by the way. 
I'm not shilling for them because we're getting no, money we, from we, we just want you to know, like, if you wanted we, to see those, you can't see it on streaming, can we, you? We've done the job. We yeah. we, we, we got compensated. Uh, yeah. I have no complaints, but yeah. yeah uh, but yeah, but seriously, though, there's a lot of stuff that is simply yeah, not if, available on streaming, and the only way you can get it now is either to get it on DVD yeah. or even maybe sometimes on VHS. Like, there's some stuff that's only ever been released on VHS, and if you can track down a decent VCR... That that's actually a worthy investment if you really care about cinema and you want to make sure that you can see everything. Yeah. And, and this is the least convincing argument because uh, somebody who already says, oh, I just need the film, I'm just going to stream it online, is not going to hear this. But there's a romance to having the thing. <laughs> uh, there's there's so- something just tactile and viscerally well, exciting about owning that thing and holding it in your hands. Yeah. And having a, a curated physical library in the room with you yeah. that is really difficult to define for somebody who doesn't value that. I think, I think, and this is something that might not have much value in the COVID era, but um, having like a great collection of something, it's there for you, but it's mostly there for when people come over and go, wow. <laughs> so you can show Look it at off. all your great books you've got. Or look at all the amazing Funko Pops you've got. Or look at all the amazing movies that you've got. Mm. Um, you get to impress people a little bit. I'm not going to lie. That's fun. That's not the most important thing, but it is fun. Also, things that you can do with physical media. You can loan people movies. Yep. A lot of movies. I own actually a lot of movies. You can buy on, films for people. You can yeah. buy films for people so that they'll always have it. You will always you own this thing. They cannot take it away from you because they lose the rights. You can buy, quote unquote, buy a movie on Amazon at a premium price. And if Amazon loses the rights to distribute that movie... They just take your money. They don't give it back to you or nothing. Mm. You're you're only paying to rent. That's it. That's all you can do on streaming. So uh, so I think physical media has a, a lot of value to it. And there's and there are movies that I own specifically because I want to make sure I be other people can watch them someday and I can loan them to you. So uh, to mm. answer your other quick questions, um, how many? If you were to hazard a guess, it's been so long since I even bothered oh, trying no. to count. If you were to hazard a guess, how many DVDs slash Blu-rays would you say you own? Oh, it's easily over a thousand. Um, oh yeah. Same year, uh, and maybe and yeah, if you start counting like just individual discs, it could be. Don't count individual, individual purchases. Individual okay. discs, like two disc set. That's one DVD. Right, that's fine. Because yeah. yeah. uh, have like uh, like like I have a whole series. I have every DVD that the Chat Factory put out for Mystery Science Theater. Like like all four. I have most sets. of them. Yeah, yeah, I'm very proud of that. Um, yeah. and, and someday I'll make a project of that, like yeah. watching them all in order. That'd but, be um, fun. But yeah, there's like several large racks throughout my apartment yeah. that uh, that contain uh, Blu-rays, DVDs, and VHS tapes yeah. of just everything I've amassed over the years. Some yeah. of them get workouts. Some of them still waiting to be watched. Yeah, uh, but they're I, there for I, rainy day. I, I have them there because I want to make sure yeah. I, I have them at the ready in case I want to watch them. I would be surprised if I'm not cracking 1,500. They have a lot yeah. of DVDs. Um, and uh, in terms of optimal viewing, I can't afford my optimal viewing. I would love, my fantasy, like, you know, like... Oh, I win the lottery. Okay, well, I'm going to give a lot of that away. But if I do anything for myself, I want to have a really nice home theater setup. Mm. So I would love like this like 80-inch television or quality 1080p projector or 4K projector even better. Uh, that'd be really cool. Nice like 7.1 surround sound. Mm. That'd be super cool. Uh, but I don't have that stuff. And I don't have the money for that stuff. So what I watch most of my movies on... Uh, is I have a 1080p uh, plasma screen. It's older. They don't really make plasma anymore, but it's still great, and the picture's wonderful. Uh, and it's about 48 inches, I think. Okay. Um, so pretty big. You know, d- definitely not small. Uh, and I watch most of my movies on my PS4. 
Uh, okay. I also have which, a comp- which contains a Blu-ray player. Which contains a Blu-ray player, exactly. Uh, it's a good way, Blu-ray player. Uh, just be careful because they tend to abuse your discs. Sometimes they do, yeah. but I've been so far I've been lucky. Um, and uh, um, let's see. I also have a combination VHS slash DVD player uh, that I keep in the bedroom uh, with the TV that has like a Roku on it. Um, and sometimes I watch, uh, actually quite frequently also watch movies on my laptop, which I'm able to do like with like, I, I just spent the money on like high quality headphones so I can kind of get that surround sound experience. Mm-hmm. That helps. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, that's how I watch most of my films. I'm of two minds about film presentation because I, I am a, a stickler for purity in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if given the choice between a digital projector, a projection of an older movie and maybe a slightly beaten up print, I'll probably take the slightly beaten up print just because I think there's just a, a little bit more heft and, and realism to a 35 millimeter image. Yeah. Digital projection is getting far better. It's just getting better all the time. And in fact, a lot of films that are shot digitally contain more information than even 35 millimeter film is able to contain. Which is pretty impressive. So there's actually got like a lot more information on the screen. And if yeah. you're used to that kind of busy image. They used to look like crap. They look so much better now. Good yeah, for them. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, they couldn't have made something like Avengers Endgame on film. It, <laughs> it would just, have been very, it, very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no matter how much you're shooting, <laughs> it could, would not it have, just wouldn't have done. With all that CGI, no, it's so much easier. I get yeah. it. I totally get it. Uh, so, uh, so th- on, on the one hand, I do uh, want to get in my mind sort of an ideal home viewing experience, and you have this sort of dedicated screening room. And where you can just sort of hear everything that uh, everything is mixed correctly and you have all of the right speakers and you have a big enough screen that it feels like a mini theatrical experience. At the same time, I grew up on VHS mm-hmm. and I've seen, a, you know, for a lot of great movies I saw for the first time on VHS, on a little cathode mm-hmm. ray tube television. Yeah, and, pan and, and scan on a crappy scan, yeah. TV and often VH- v- VHS had serious loss issues where every time that magnetic tape ran over something, mm. you lose a little bit of information. Kind of stri- and yeah, so there's a lot of yeah. uh, striping and so slowing. Like, so like a popular movie at a blockbuster yeah, video kind of on VHS out, would look yeah. like shit after a couple of years. Well, and, and after a couple of years also because blockbuster notoriously didn't use rental grade equipment they would use consumer grade equipment which is way cheaper which is why you could buy tapes for 15 Mm -hmm. bucks but if you wanted to buy the rental copy it was 80 dollars this is all dated information nobody cares anymore yeah uh but i'll say this casablanca isn't worse because you watched it on vhs Uh, it's if you can see it well enough and hear the dialogue i think you're still getting a good film out of it yeah so i'm not going to be too much of a stickler for uh, the right kind of technology if you're robbing yourself of watching the movies. If you can see yeah. an inferior... Better to, better to see the movie than not see see a, the movie. A great film in an inferior quality, that's fine. Yeah. Because you're still seeing a great film and yeah. you're not hurting yourself by watching it on VHS. Especially considering that there's a lot of movies that, again, have never been properly restored, remastered, mm-hmm. released on DVD, and Blu-ray, uh, streaming, yeah. that will only may only ever look okay like uh there's a fun movie i like to recommend to people called tag the assassination game which is about a game of uh dart guns that is taking over a college campus it's the new fad but some guy takes it way too seriously and starts actually killing people stars linda hamilton just before she was in terminator uh it's from the director of the last starfighter and it's fun <laughs> it's a really entertaining motion picture and it's a shame that nobody gives a shit about it because it really deserves a, a good cleanup. The only way you can find it 
is like maybe you can track down a VHS or you can find it online and a copy that has clearly been ripped off of a VHS and it doesn't look good, does it? Hmm. But you know what it looks like? That movie, which you can't see any other way. So just see it because it's fun. Um, anyway, uh, I believe that there should always be a place for physical media. It's increasingly becoming a niche market for people who only care about the things that we've just discussed. Mm. A lot of people don't. That's fine. But to say that physical media shouldn't exist because some people don't see the value in it is kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Because the whole point is, if people value it enough, they'll want it, therefore we should probably make it. Mm. And yeah, it won't be the dominant form of how movies are distributed, maybe ever again. But I like that it's available, just like vinyl records are still available. Why? People like the aesthetic. Yeah. People think they sound better. Arguably, they do. So I think as Although, long as there are companies that are like like Shout, Criterion, Arrow, Kino Lorber, that are putting out like older DVDs and knowing like how many to print so that it's actually worth their while, cleaning them up nice, mm -hmm. making them good, I think there will always be a place for physical media Eventually, I think they will. I honestly think they will. It'll just get increasingly smaller, much like theaters will probably diminish over time now. Well, the multiplex is going to die. That's that's my prediction. At uh, least overall. I think uh, they will still exist in some form. But. In, in some form, but yeah, we're, we're going to yeah. see a gigantic closure of theaters I sooner rather than I later. I think that's the case. Yeah, yeah. that I, sucks. I think, I, I, think that's, I think that is just the reality we're it facing sucks, right now. sucks, but like we're, it's, it's yeah. yeah. Somebody who loves the theatrical experience, you know, that, that makes me sad, but I also... Real, like we've been heading in this direction for a while now, and now we're just sort of heading there a little Look, bit quicker. I, I've been saying it for for a while now. Like it, it, the industry has often been like teetering on the status quo. Hmm. Like all it would really take to destroy Hollywood, I've been arguing, is one summer full of duds. And well, like, this is that summer. Kind of is. Like, seriously. It's like, not duds. We have nothing. Yeah. All, all of, of the some, big releases are just off the slate. All now. the studios, they're, yeah, some of them are making some money off of their streaming services, but they're not making as much as they would have if all of these $200 million movies were being released all over the world to mm. fanfare and buzz and repeat business and marketing tie-ins. They depend on that. And without that, things will collapse. Mm. And I thought it was going to happen just sort of randomly. There would just be one year where people didn't just give a all, shit about the movies the, they came all out. Of, or, all of the big movies were just not good and yeah, nobody wanted to yeah, see them. For word of mouth would be bad or whatever, and that would be it. That would all, That's all it would take. Turns out it was something else. This is an X factor we didn't quite predict. But, like, yeah. It, it sucks. But I think there will always be a place for movie theaters. They just mm. won't necessarily become the dominant medium. Oh. I think the same thing for physical media. Mm. Anyway, um, that's it. I think we're good. That's uh, that's an that's an hour and twenty minutes. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good episode. I feel pretty good about it. We, we could go on and on and on, but we got to cut ourselves yeah. off eventually. Uh, so uh, thank you everybody for listening to We've Got Mail. Especially thank you everybody who wrote in. If we didn't get to your email, sorry about that. We'll try next week. Uh, We've Got Mail's email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And, uh, of course, you can follow us on Twitter as well. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Together we are at Critic Acclaim. And if you want even more of Critically Acclaimed, uh, well, of course, we have a lot of podcasts here, the Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, but we also have a ton of exclusive podcasts at the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network. 
Every single one of our subscribers gets some of our bonus episodes. They get to vote for future episodes of our various shows. Uh, also, at the higher tiers, you get more exclusive shows like Not on Disney Plus, where we talk about all of the Disney movies that should be on Disney Plus but are not. Mm. Maybe if you had them on physical media, you wouldn't have to worry about that. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. We talk about uh, uh, we have a podcast dedicated to every single Star Trek episode ever. We have a star uh, a podcast dedicated to every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. Quite a few of which are not on streaming services. Just throwing that out there. Mm. Uh, and uh, we do commentary tracks and other stuff as well. So, um, again, thank you. Special thank you to all of our patrons and to everybody who wrote in this week. Uh, we loved hearing from you. And uh, bye. Sincerely yours, Pips and Whitney. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>